0: You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hey everybody, if you're enjoying the podcast, can you do me one favor? Give us a nice review, will you? Star us on iTunes, leave a comment, let everyone know how you feel about it. If you don't like the podcast, well, press stop right now, because one is about to start. I want to be a producer with a hit show on Broadway. I want to be... Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Producers Perspective Podcast. I'm Ken Davenport. I'm very fortunate to have on today's show one of the top director choreographers in the business. Please welcome to the podcast three-time Tony Award winner, Ms. Kathleen Marshall. Welcome, Kathleen.
1: Thank you, Ken, for that very generous introduction.
0: Well, all true. (laughs) Just facts. Kathleen Leonard, Tony's for Anything Goes, Pajama Game, and Wonderful Town. She also directed and choreographed Nice Work, if you can get it, The Revival of Greece. Subject of the reality show. You're yes. the one that I want. I discovered Laura Ozis. And this season's in transit. We work on a ton of other shows. We don't have time to list all of them. So let's just get into it. So something tells me you got your start in the theater at a young age, being <laughs> from a very show business family that you're in. Tell me a little well, bit about I
1: grew up in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and with uh, my brother and sister, Robin Mara, who are a couple years older than me, and twins. And
2: my parents are actually academics.
1: I can't believe it both taught at the University of Pittsburgh, um, my father in the English department, my mom uh, was the um, head of the elementary education graduate program, but they were big theater fans and all all kinds of theater uh, and took us to see everything from Miami, you know, opera, ballet, Shakespeare, musicals, symphonies, just everything that there was to see in Pittsburgh and One of the great things about growing up in Pittsburgh is that it was sort of a medium-sized city that had everything, had all those cultural institutions and parks and sports teams, and you could get to it. You know, unlike big cities that have a lot of things going on, but you can't get access. And somehow Pittsburgh, you could get access to things. You could get tickets. You could afford tickets. You could, you didn't have to stand in line for three days to get tickets. So we just saw everything and didn't, didn't start dancing until I was like 13, but we, you know, performed in, in our schools and, Pittsburgh Light Opera shows just kind of as amateurs and and so really was a fan before I ever thought it was something to could be a part of. And when was that moment when you were like,
0: Oh, I wanna do this as as a career?
1: You know, when we were when we were kids, my brother, sister and I all auditioned for Pittsburgh simple Light Opera, which is a big summer stock company that's where pursuing sound of music. And we saw an ad in the paper and said, We want to go down and audition. My parents were like, you know, you're kids who like we're take music class at school and put on shows in the living room. You're not professionals, but we'll drive you down to get it. And all three of us got in, and we're three of the Von Trapp children in a, in a production. That's, and what was fun about that is that we were, it was the last show of the season. And through the the season, the director was very smart. He brought us in like a couple of times every week, you know, to rehearse the Von Trapp children. So we, on our breaks, would go and watch all the other shows being rehearsed. It was our first time kind of seeing that world. And so then when I did, a couple of years later, start taking dance. I was like, well, this could be something that I might be interested in pursuing. And then uh, and I was able to get my equity card a few years later. This was something I offered in the ensemble.
0: So you really stayed at Pittsburgh CLO for yeah. years. I oh, yeah.
1: All through college. I went to college. at Smith college in Massachusetts. But all through college, and this is my summers, I go home and dance in the chorus at CLO. And when and how did you make that
0: transition from, okay, performing thing right. isn't going to be for me. I want to be the person who makes
1: up these. You know, it was, it, it was interesting. I mean, I think, you know, I choreographed some shows in college and was dance captain and assistant to some people, even at CLO. But the, really the big break came through my brother, Rob. Um, my brother, Rob Marshall, who was, you know, also a dancer on Broadway, who became an assistant choreographer to Graciela Danielle. And, and he, he was, I was actually touring in, in a production of Cats when Rob was brought in to, went to Toronto to work on a new musical that was out of town and then heading to London and heading to Broadway, they wanted us uh, some, some additional help with choreography. And Graciela, Danielle, and Rob went up. And then Graciela couldn't continue with it, but said you should continue with Rob. And that musical was Kiss the Spider. So and so Rob called me. I was on the road with Cats, and said, uh, and I'd assisted him on a couple of other things that he'd started to choreograph. And and he said, do you want to come work with me on this new musical? It's Candor and Ed and Terrence McNally and, and Hal Prince and were Rivera. It's like uh. No, yeah, yeah. I, Never heard of them. Who yeah, are they? Yeah. So I was like, yeah, I think I'd like to come work on that project. And then from there, I assisted him on on several other shows. Oh, so interesting working with your brother.
0: Do yeah. you because you were both you learned the business together. Yeah. Coming up. So did you find you have the same dance vocabulary or?
1: I, you know I think choreography is really an apprenticeship art. I mean, if you look at it, you know, I assisted my brother, and my brother assisted Graciela Danielle. Graciela Danielle assisted Bob Fosse. Bob Fosse was supervised on his first musical by Jerome Robbins. You know, Rob Ashford assisted me. You know, I mean, we were all, it's all Casey was in the ensemble of shows that I choreographed, that Rob Ashford choreographed. I mean, you know, Mark Rooney was my assistant uh, director on many shows, Now he's directing on his own. And I think it just all sort of all intertwines. And I think, you know, that's one thing about being a director choreographer is you get to see other directors in action.
0: When you started the choreograph, did you think, okay, one day I'm going to direct as well? Was this always the trajectory for you?
1: No, I mean I think you know it's it's like anything, opportunities sort of come up in a way. I mean, I was still actively dancing and pursuing a performing career when I started assisting my brother, and and there were a couple of shows where he sort of said, okay, you've got to you know you have to decide you know audition to be in this show or you can be the assistant, but I, you can't I can't have an assistant who's in the show. I need somebody an assistant who's out with me and watching the show. So there were a couple of things that I'd done where I was in the show assistant him, like the tour of the Mystery of Every. And so then it sort of was like, Oh no, I wanna be I like being on this side. And really a couple years had gone by where I was assisting my brother and I had realized, oh I guess I'm not performing anymore. It wasn't like a conscious decision like, oh I'm stopping that and now I'm going on to do this. It's just that the opportunities were so um were so wonderful and so creative and interesting to pursue on the other side of it. Do you remember what it was? Because it's obviously two very
0: different personalities that Oh, I want to continue to be on the stage or no, I want to be the person that tells the people on the stage. Do you remember <laughs> what it was about it that
1: attracted me like the other side? I think I've always been interested in the big picture. I mean, even Susan Schulman, who's a wonderful director who gave me my equity card at Peace for saint Opera and who I actually choreographed shows for later on. She said that I would always, was the one raising my hand saying, aren't we all supposed to be doing this? And you know, aren't we, what, you know, and asking the bigger questions about Idiomenary ensemble, like, who are we and why are, what are we, what are we, what is our attitude supposed to be? So I think that the big pictures have always interested me and I think I, you know, I admire the sort of very focused determination that it takes to be a successful performer, but I, I feel like I didn't have that, that particular skill and, and, and drive. I'm gonna
0: ask you one of my few James Lipton like questions, which is I call this one the bar stool question. Uh-huh. Is, I want you to imagine you're on a bar stool in some little hick town in the Midwest mm-hmm. and you cozy up and a guy cozies up right next to you and says who has never seen a theater show ever and says, What do you do? <laughs> How do you describe what a director does to someone who's never seen a show?
1: That's an interesting question because you're right. There's a lot of there are a lot of civilians who sort of don't understand what a director does. I mean, you can see what an actor does, you can see even what a musician does, but same thing with producing. People have no idea what a producer really does, do they? No, you know? I have no and, idea. what do. <laughs> to know the story. Well, I always say when people ask what a producer is, I always say, look at the title page of the playbill. You see all those names on that title page. The producer got them all to do this on board to do this show. The producer put all those people together to make this show happen. And I sort of feel like that as a director, you know, your 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 job is basically to get the most creative people you can in a room, you know, the, from the, the writing team to the design team to the musical team to the, the the cast, and try to all get them on the same page and tell the same story. And I think, you know, a lot of times, I sort of joke and sort of say that, you know, the director, as a director, you can't assume anything, that your, your, your job is to sometimes state the odds. And part of that is like everybody know we're doing a comedy here? <laughs> everybody or what is the style of the piece we're doing? What is the story we're telling? Uh, what what is the means by which we can tell this story? And to sort of, you know, lead, inspire and shepherd and also, you know, receive all the ideas and filter all the ideas of how we're gonna all tell this story so that we're all telling the same story in the same style.
0: Directors I find have have lots of skills. So they have to have a concept for the production, they have to work really well with actors, they have to be dramaturgs at the same time. Of all the things that a director does, what do you think is the most important to a director's success?
1: I think it's to make, well, to make sure you communicate with everybody, you know, because you need everybody. And that means there's, you know, there's the obvious people in the room, but there's the people outside of the marketing team and the the public relations team and, and your producers and your general managers. I mean, you're sort of, the conduit for for all of that and and, to what's going to end up on stage. And I think the most important thing is is just making sure that everybody's heard because I think that's important. I mean, it's it's your job to sort of then edit all the ideas, but I think it's part of your job is to make sure everybody's ideas are heard and that everybody feels that they're contributing and that we're all working on the same show. Following up to that question, what's what's the one
0: thing that you do as a director that you think the public would be shocked to hear that you is your job or to put it another way when you started directing and someone said hey you got to do this for we you like this i have to do this this is my job is there anything like that that you're surprised um, that you have to do
1: well i think budgets you know i mean that you're really when you're when you're putting together a show you're very much responsible for the budgets and you're going to have to be dealing with trends you know your a budget comes in for the scenery or the costumes or the lighting and even for that the size of the cast the size of the band you're you're always sort of negotiating and trying to figure out, you know, what what show we're doing and, and how to make it viable and how to sort of meet the expectations of what the audience is going to see, but also make it economically feasible. We all want a show that can, you know, run for a long time, especially a commercial Broadway show. But even in you know regional productions, here, everywhere you go, you're dealing with the budget, you're dealing with what are the limitations and how can I be as creative as possible within whatever those given limitations are, and it whether it's uh, you know, a show at encores for two weeks rehearsal or uh, a regional production or off-Broadway or a commercial Broadway production. You have to sort of understand the scope and scale of the, and the constraints of what you're with.
0: I want to jump back to the choreographic part of what you do. I think everyone out there knows how a writer writes a scene. They sit down, they write it, or a composer writes at a piano. Choreography is something different. What's yeah. your process for designing a number or building a dance?
1: How do you do it? I mean, it's it's you know it's it's similar to a writer or composer in that you are facing a blank page. You know, as a director, I mean, of course, as a director, you're you're guiding the writing, especially if it's a new project, and you're as you said working as a dramaturg in some ways. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to actually rehearsing a scene, you've got a script, you've got a set, you've got actors, you're all going to get in the room, and something's going to happen. Mm-hmm. As a choreographer. That same something's going to happen, but only when you say, okay, everybody start on your left foot, or you start on your right foot, and you have to be ready to you have to prepare the, the actual steps. And for me, it's always about going into the story, you know, of the characters, and who are they, and why would they dance, and how would they dance, and, you know, what's the, I love research, so if it's a show that's a period show, whatever nice movie you can get it, and I just research all kinds of dance for love. The, the, from that time and I found some old footage of Josephine Baker that really inspired me and a cotton plant footage and, and so it wasn't just a typical Charles but it had a sort of new, new style to it and, and so it's, it's doing research and, and looking at all of that but then it's also figuring out the characters and I always find when now, I play a lot with vocabulary, you know, and, and then we're also sort of shaping the dance And And if you're working on a new show and you're working with your dance arrangements, you're trying to figure out with your dance arranger, what the story of the dance is going to be. But I always find if I'm having trouble coming up with actual steps, with actual vocabulary, it's because I don't know why they're dancing, you know, and that I have to go back and say, well, who are they? Are they expressing joy? Are there expressing this? expressing frustration? Is there actual story and thought they're telling? Or is it just an expression of emotion? Is it spontaneous? Is it a show within a show kind of number? How is the number going to build? When when is it? When are you? When have you earned the right to do something in unison? You know that kind of thing. And so I always feel like if I if I can't come up with a step, and there are times you, you just want to open the window and yell, "Anybody got a step out there?" i just I don't have a step. And I feel like if I get to that point where I'm really stuck, it's because I haven't I have, I have to go back to the sort of story and character and emotional reason why that dance
0: is. So, I want to talk about uh, a specific number of yours, but before I do that, let's go back to James Lipton and channel him for a second. <laughs> I want you to imagine that the Smithsonian Institute calls you and says, Kathleen, you've choreographed some amazing numbers, and we want to put one in the Institute. Okay. Which one? We only have room for one oh, of God. all your numbers, which would you want stored forever? Oh my gosh,
1: that's hard. You know, I think I might say to darn not we can't. because it was was one of the first big musicals that I did and where I was able to do you know the original dance arrangements and create something real like and Tudor and Hot takes place is the opening of the second act but in in the story it's it's intermission of the show of the you know the tamed, true the show the show. And what was fun about that is starting from a place that's so familiar to to us and to our world, which is what actors do and Irish. And I just started kind of thinking about that and thinking how some of people have to get out of their costumes. And they're sort of sexy because they're sort of, they're in their sort of half underwear and half costume but you know, you boots on because they take too long to unlace and put back on again. And people are smoking and some people are stretching and have their heads in the show. Other people are sort of checking in on their, I mean, this is the 40s, so they're checking in on the ball game. They're reading a magazine. They're having a coke, having smoke. So I sort of feel like the first place I started from was just what really happens, you know, to actors and stagehands. And, stage hands and Musicians, what do they do at a mission? And then we just kind of built it from there, and it became this. And I knew I didn't know how the, I didn't know how long that number was going to be. I didn't know what was going to happen. But I knew it was going to end up being this kind of free for all, this party, and it was going to end with everybody sort of passed out on the floor, and the stage manager running in and saying, "Place for act two, place for act to. You. and that's all I knew when we started. it. And then it turned into this like it ended up being like 11 minutes long. This number. They had all these really fun sections and, and can you talk this kind of challenges to it. And it was really, really fun to build.
0: So I love that story. Because it comes from story. It comes from those those character places. And I think you touched on something that I think a lot of people out there don't realize is that when you're choreographing on Broadway, it's not like you're doing something at a regional theater. You don't get there. You're right. 30 bars of music filled with dance. Right. You didn't know how much music there was going to be. Right. You just... It's a blank canvas. Mm-hmm. And the dance arrangers, so tell me a little bit about that arrangement on how you say, here's what I want.
1: Right, right. Well, I've worked with David Chase, who's the most amazing dance arranger, musical director, conductor, and vocal arranger extraordinaire. We've worked together on almost every Broadway show I've done. And what's fun is that you sort of just do
2: all the what-ifs
1: and all the what-ifs. And, and we knew we wanted to go through tempo changes. We knew what we wanted to do is to start from a really slow, slow place and build to something. And, you know, so I would, we would say to him, well, I know I want to have, you know, the girl's section or the guy's section, or I want to have this challenge section, or I want to have this trio. I know I wanted that sort of sexy trio. And he would just play with riffs and variations on the melody. And then we'd go, oh, yeah, 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 that one, that one. And then we'd start working on it and saying, okay, that's great, but can we expand that a little bit more? I love that, that, the feel of that section. Can that expand from four eights to eight eights? And then we have to figure out, okay, what's the next section going to be and how we're going to transition to that? And at the end of it, I knew, because it was like 40s, you know, swing music, and I knew his, uh, you know, piece that I love so much, and uh, there's a reason that every choreographer has used it is Sing Sing Sing, you know, the way Sing 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 builds that Betty Goodman arrangement. I said, so I knew I wanted to have that thing that Sing 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 has again, which is just sort you of know, around and around and around, and relentless, and relentless, relentless, until it, ah, until it sort of you know, reaches its peak and finishes. And so the last section of r 2 arrangement, even though it doesn't use the melody of Sing 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 it uses the structure of Sing Sing Sing, in terms of just... It goes around, it goes around, it goes around, it goes an to it, it, it goes around, it goes around, it goes around, and then it blasts off. And that, so it's really fun to sort of just play, but it takes, it takes a long time. You know, we meet over the course of many, many months, sort of just coming up with ideas and coming up with ideas and then kind of slowly spiraling into the center of what you want. So you mentioned before Fosse, which
0: certainly he had his style, Michael Bennett has his style. Yeah. How would you describe the Kathleen Marshall style? <laughs>
2: You have I don't one. know. I
1: don't know if I do. I mean, you know, I mean, I love Fosse. I love Ben. And I also so admire Jerome Robbins because I sort of feel like his, we I mean, you think that he did Fiddler on the Roof, West Side Story, you know, Gypsy. I mean, it's just sort of amazing that he, King and I, that he would, his style would be sort of subjugated to whatever show he was working on. You know, I mean, Fosse crystallized those those movements and so we know that you can't you know you can't grab, grab a bowler hat with your you know index finger and your thumb and your other fingers out without thinking of Fossy and robbins was sort of the opposite in which that his you couldn't necessarily tell it was the same person who showed the show because he he just changed his style depending on on whatever uh style of the show he was working on. so i think that's it i mean although i do love i do love athletic dancing i love numbers that have a nice big build to them i like to sort of have individuality within the ensemble to try to give to give some texture to that and some story to that, so that it's not just sort of anonymous chorus people all dancing and dancing.
0: What kind of stories do you think make the best musicals? What does the story need to have? What are the necessary ingredients?
1: That's a good question. I mean, I, yeah. I mean, I think that you know, certainly it's interesting. I'm mentor with a group called um, Open Doors, which is through TDF that brings high school students to see um, all the musicals and plays, and I've done this for about 13 years now, and they're also usually sixteen and seventeen year old kids from Queens and Brooklyn and other neighborhoods and and some of them have never seen a show before and you know what they all respond to? I mean they love seeing spectacle, they love great music. They love plot and they love story. And they love characters that they care about. And so I feel like, you know, at the heart of anything, no matter you can have all the sort of bells and whistles and you can have sort of fabulous music and fabulous choreography and a spectacular production. But I think people respond to stories and respond to sort of human connections, stories of human connection. Uh, yeah,
0: you're so right about that and proven by how many cast recordings I own that I listen to where the show's flopped. Where mm. the music was great and the music isn't the reason it didn't work, but the story right. for whatever reason didn't function. So just dovetailing off that, you get, I'm sure, a ton of projects to work on. <laughs> how do you personally say, oh yeah, this one is for me?
1: Well, it's, you know, it, I mean, so much of it is for, for me as a choreographer is responding to the music. Certainly, you know, I mean, the story of the characters, but the music, you know, do you want to, can you see yourself living with these songs? Because, you know, when you pick a project, you know, you may be living with it for several years or more. And it's like thinking, can I, do I want to be around these people, these characters, and around this music for several, several years of my life? And so that's a big part of it for me. It's interesting with In Transit that's running now. It's a contemporary musical, which is fun for me to do, because um, I haven't gotten a chance to do a lot of them. And it's really cool because it's on a cappella. So it's all, I mean, the, the, there is no band. The cast is the band. And that beatboxer, vocal percussionists and it's just it's unlike anything you've ever heard. And even though know, it's a contemporary New York story, and I sort of responded to it, I read it, and I sort of thought, this is like a modern-day Combin and Green musical. This is sort of a musical that's a love letter, a valentine to New York City, that sort of embraces New York in all its sort of quirkiness and that like uh, the classic comedy musicals like Wonderful Town or Bells Are Ringing or On the Town, it takes the big city and turns it into a small town and all of these characters, their lives intersect in sort of surprising and interesting ways and I sort of thought, okay, I like these people, I like these characters, I like this music, I want to spend time with these people. You've done a lot of revivals. Do you prefer new
0: musicals or revivals, one or the other? Or if you could only do one for the rest <laughs> of your life,
1: which would it be? That's a tricky question. I mean, the, the, you know, the, obviously with new musicals, it's nice going into sort of uncharted territory. They just take a lot longer, as you know. They take a long time. I mean, how long did Spring Awakening take, you know, with that universal I mean, production and you involved in Kinky Boots, and that was a long, many, many years of development. And, and so there's something nice about a revival, you know, that it that can come together in a in a more timely way, which is also sort of satisfying. You know, that if, if if the right property and the right sometimes they require a star, but if the right casting and the right property come together, it can happen within a couple of years, which is sort of which is fun to do. And I also think it's fun to sort of reimagine these shows for a contemporary audience and thinking, you know, when I want them to have the same audience experience that the audience had in maybe the nineteen forties or fifties seeing this musical, but how can we make it fresh for a contemporary audience, you know, so that was one of the fun things about Anything Goes, and we haven't seen Anything Goes in high school, or college, and summer stock, so it's like, how, how can I deliver on Anything Goes that sort of meets the expectations of people who know and love that musical, but also give them some fresh surprises and delights. When you're working on a new musical, are you the type of director that likes to come
0: on very early before much is written, or do you like to wait for the draft to two done?
1: I mean, I've done both. I've come on board when there's sort of, you know, here's here's a draft, here's some songs and but it's also nice to be involved in sort of figuring out, you know, okay, where else do we need a song? And where else you know, who 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 should sing and why and how do we how are we gonna wrap up the story and they you know, just been on a project, I don't know if uh, be involved with in it or not, but I know the writers and they haven't written the ending of the show yet. And so part of my meeting with them was kind of spitballing ideas about well, what could the ending be? And whether that will happen or not, who knows? But it's, it's, it's fun to be in the front row floor and that kind of stuff. So you are married to a
0: producer yes. and a very good one. From <laughs> to Scott yeah. What makes a good producer on Broadway in 2016?
1: <laughs> well, I've learned more about producing in the last 10 years than I ever thought I'd want to know. It's complicated because producing is, you know, there's the business side of it, and there's the creative side of it, and there's the personal side. And I think a good producer needs to do all of those well. I mean, you need to, if you're managing a business, you're managing, you know, a big budget business and that, but ultimately Broadway, as you know, I sort of think of like a mom and pop store. You've got to make more money every week than you spend and try to, you know, keep the lights on and pay the employees. Um, so there's that business side of it. There's the creative side of it, which, you know, especially if you're shepherding a project early on, the producer may be involved in putting the team together. You know, you may start with just a property that you have the rights to. Or an idea that you have, and you're putting together, you're going to it, a writer, a composing team, and a director, and saying, "Do this project interest you?" But then I think what what's really so key is is the, is the personal connection, because I think you know there's a lot of, as we all know, there are a lot of producers above the title these days, but most of them are not necessarily hands-on involved with the creative team in a very personal and direct way. And I think you know there's a lot of you know, it's, it's, a, it's a kind of scary process to put yourself out there in a creative way and hoping that everybody likes it. And, and your your first sort of feedback often comes from your producer in terms of, are we on the right track? Do you like the direction we're going? And and I think having a producer whose taste you trust and who you feel has your has your back in terms of wanting you to sort of succeed creatively is, is really essential.
0: You work for non-profit theaters as well mm-hmm. as commercial producers. Difference between
1: the two, yeah, I mean there's you know i mean it's all it's all even in the not for profit world you know they're they're all they're trying to sell tickets and even if they have subscribers they've gotta please their subscribers they've got to hope their subscribers react to next season and hopefully sell some single tickets beyond that so so everybody's sort of facing that same sort of need to to create something that is that the audience can connect with and, and want to see, you know obviously there's a little more of a safety net with the not-for-profits that you're not, you know, you can do a, a successful limited run of the show and feel like it's, it's done well. There's a commercial Broadway production where you're sort of out there for the world to see in terms of, you know, they, they're they not printing the grosses of the, the theater companies, right? They don't know how many subscribers they have, but they're not getting their, you know, grosses printed every Monday and, and everybody can see how the show is doing. So it's more exposed, certainly, in the commercial Broadway world. What do you think Broadway looks like in 20 years? You know, I think it'll be somewhat similar. I mean, I think that, you know, even if you look 20 years ago, I mean, you know, there was there was always been a variety on Broadway. There's always been a variety of, you know, serious plays and family musicals, blockbuster shows, uh, experimental shows. I think the tricky thing on Broadway right now is these mega, mega hits that run for, you know, 10, 15, 20 years. And it means that it sort of somehow sets the, the bar of success at a very high level that's really not necessarily achievable. You know, I think 40, 50 years ago, a show would run a season and be a success and then it's money back and, and, you know, everybody was happy. And now it sort of feels like a, a show to sort of really be deemed a success it has to be one of those mega shows that runs for years and years and produces, you know, multiple companies around the world. So I think, you know, real estate's always going to be an issue in New York City, as it always is. I wish we had a couple more fifteen to 1,600-seat theaters. I'm sure <laughs> you and every producer does. But I think that, you know, Broadway will always be a place that, that has a sort of combination of, you know, tourist-friendly, Native musicals, and, and also still some some experimental and, uh, and groundbreaking shows. We
0: mentioned you. Got it. Fosse, Robbins, your brother, yeah. a lot of men in that
1: picture.
0: <laughs> Did you was it challenging being a female director choreographer and breaking into this obvious boys club?
1: You know, I'm I'm lucky in that you know Susan Shulman gave me my equity card, so it's like I the first professional director I really worked with it was was a woman, and and when I was um, at City Center, and Judith Davis was the executive director there, and and hired me to choreographed into our shows and encores, and then to be the artistic director there for a few years and so I'm lucky that I've had these sort of wonderful role models and I haven't really thought about it much, you know, you sort of feel like you're just kind of doing your, trying kind to of do your work but you realize that it is kind of a small club. Somebody told me and I'm not, I haven't actually looked to see if this is actually true, that that I'm the only woman who's directed a play on Broadway, directed a musical on Broadway and choreographed a musical on Broadway so I did a play a year ago and I was like Right, we didn't. Some Danielle old a director play, and I was Danelle play, and, and I don't, I don't know if they have, but um, you know, so it's still a small, a small group, but I mean, it's, it's amazing to see what Diane Paulus and Susan Stroman and Richard Chaffin and I mean, these wonderful, you know, and Silverman, and there's a new, there's also a besides the sort of old guard of ladies, there's a sort of new, new, very exciting group of women coming. Advice to that young lady that that Pittsburgh CLO this summer
0: <laughs> raising her hand saying, what's our motivation as the ensemble? Does she want to just...
1: Well, to quote the show everybody knows a little bit about, you just want to be in the room where it happened, And I think that, like I said, I think choreography really and direction that matters, is an apprenticeship art. And you want to get in the room and watch other people do it. And I sort of feel like as much as you can, you do your own work, do your own shows, but watch other people work. I think I was very lucky as being, being an assistant choreographer to my brother and being a choreographer before I became a director. I watched Hal Quince and Jack O'Brien and Michael Blake and Jerry Zaks and Susan Shulman and all these people at work. And so I got to see how they run auditions, how they talk to writers, how they talk to designers, how they run a tech, how they run a production meeting, how they give notes, and all those things that you, unless you witness it, and I think it's different witnessing it from the point of view of an actor or something else, unless you're actually sort of you know, off the shoulder of the director watching them and how they interact well with other members of the of the team and the company. It's it's really informative and it can inform ways that you want to work and ways that you don't want
0: to right, my last question and the last of the James <laughs> Lifting my genie question. I want you to imagine that the genie from Aladdin comes to you, <laughs> knocks on your door and says, I want to thank you, Kathleen, for all the work that you've done for Broadway, and inspiration to future choreographers and directors By granting you one (laughs) book, you're such a lovely woman. What's the one thing that really pisses you off about Broadway that makes you angry that could get you flipping this, throwing things around, acting like Fosse in a rehearsal, throwing dance bags at people? What's the one one thing that makes you so mad that you'd ask the genie to wish away?
1: (sighs) To have, to let everybody have the courage of their own convictions of what shows they believe should be produced and put on Broadway and not rely on one or two people's opinions. That's all I'll say. How's that? Is oh,
0: that? Very good.
1: Thank
0: you. <laughs> very good answer. Thank you so much for that. Thank you so much for being here and for doing all that you do. Everyone yeah. out there, go see Trans. It's fantastic. And just like you said, I've never seen or heard anything like it, which is exactly the type of stuff I love to see. So thank you for that. Thanks, to all of you, for listening. Don't forget to subscribe. We'll see you next time. Don't forget to give us a review on whatever platform you're listening to this on. It'd be much appreciated. Thanks for listening.